guys. Turn the light on a little brighter. It's like, man, we got to wake up in here. There's a sleepy feeling in here. I don't know if I'm the only body feeling it or seeing it. Uh, but I don't like that. Just a free thought, this is not my message, but I just thought I would share it because I'm thinking about it. And Greg kind of, um, when Greg was playing, uh, I must in- he-, he must increase and I must decrease. Y'all know that's from John the Baptist when he was talking about his ministry. And you know, John the Baptist's ministry was to prepare Israel to receive the Messiah, their Savior. And his message was a, was a message of repentance, Repent, turn away from your sin, and be prepared to meet the Lord. And I was just thinking about how, you know, the Apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And there's a way in which we are ambassadors of Christ to other people to lead them and to prepare them for the Lord's coming in their life. And there's an aspect to which children in the Lord need to follow more mature believers, but that the, the whole purpose of our ministry to others is to get them into the place to where they no longer need us and they're properly connected to him. And so in that way, I must increase, he must decrease. The whole function of our ministry is like being parents in the sense that, you know, I have a daughter. She's about to be 16 years old. I better, she better um, be making more decisions now for herself than she did when she was 10. Because I'm, my job is to prepare her to stand on her own two feet so that she can be connected to the Lord for herself and she no longer needs me. That's the job of a parent is to prepare kids so that they no longer need them. But there's something in us that makes people want to be dependent on us. And it's really not good. And I was just thinking about when Greg was singing that, he must increase, they just kind of hit me. See your ministry as like John the Baptist, that we're preparing people for the Lord so that they can get connected to him and no longer need us. Now, they'll always need one another, you know what I mean, but it's not in that dependent. And that's free. That was just a thought I had. It's not even the message, but how's everybody? Okay. I want to talk about something today that I have got a lot of experience in, and uh, I've talked about it here lately. Uh, I spoke a little bit about it at Global River when I preached under their tent. Uh, This has become a major part of the message that God has given me in general because I've dealt with it so much, and in the words of Justin Perry, I'm going to be preaching where I'm reaching. I'm going to explain things that I see, but I also want you to understand that I am in no way saying that I have, I, I have arrived in this because I have not. Matter of fact, the last time I spoke on this type of subject, I got hit with this so hard right afterwards that I've been battling with it ever since. Now, I want to talk to you about fear today because fear is what cripples God's people, and God wants us to get free from it. I preached on this from Glo- at Global River under the tent. I had so many people come up to me and say that it really helped them. I immediately went into a, a weeks of just dealing with fear on a level that I hadn't experienced in a while, which encouraged me <laughs> partially because that means we're over the target. 
You know, when you're when you start taking from the enemy's kingdom and starts helping people come into truth that sets them free, the enemy wants to stop that. And so we want to be free from the devil. We want to be free from everything he does to hinder us. Everything that, that keeps us from walking in the fullness. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. But the majority of that life we don't experience because we, we are still bound by so many things. way for us to keep us bound up in that God doesn't want us to be bound up in. And he actually has made a way for us to be free from it. But the scripture says, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. And so I hope to enlighten some things today so that we can all begin to wrestle with this so that we can live lives of freedom, live lives of uh, courage, and to be able to follow God wherever he leads um, without allowing fear to hinder us. And um, I share this scripture at the end, but I just think it's fitting now. I'm going to turn over to uh, Luke uh, 1. Actually, I'm already there. How about that? <clears throat> this is Zechariah when, he, he, you know, the angel came to Zechariah and said, you're going to have a son, and, and he kind of doubted that he was going to have a son in his old age, and so the angel um, caused him to not be able to speak during the pregnancy. Now, I believe the reason for that was because he knew with that current spirit of doubt that was on him, he would be speaking death and doubt over what God was doing, and he didn't want that to happen. So he shut his mouth up so he couldn't speak. And But as soon as the baby was born, he began to acknowledge to the group that was gathered that his son's name would be, in fact, John, which is the name the angel gave him to name the child. And at that point, his mouth was opened, and he began to praise God, and he began to prophesy. Now, if you're not familiar with prophecy, prophecy is when the Holy Spirit comes upon a person, and they begin to speak under the unction of the Holy Spirit things that they wouldn't have spoke otherwise. It was the Spirit coming on John. But here's what he says. He says, and his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David his servant, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies. Okay? Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Who hates us more than anybody? The devil, Satan, his demons, his fallen angels, all the above. His, the beings that have left their proper abode, to, and they hate us. And so who hates us? The, the, the enemy is, is the devil. And so the Lord's saying, salvation from our enemies and from all those who hate us, to show mercy towards our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. See, God wants us to serve him without fear. I want to serve him without fear. I often use this as a weapon both God knows he's myself reminding the devil and reminding God that he said this. Now, obviously, God knows he said this, but 
I find it helpful to remind him. <laughs> There's scriptural principles for reminding the Lord of his word. Not that he needs it, it's for our sake. The scripture says that he honors his word even above his name. He gave us his word as a weapon that we can use, taking up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, as mentioned as one of our weapons in Ephesians. And many of us, are so, we have so many weapons at our disposal, and we don't even use them because we don't know about them. One of them is taking up the sword of the Spirit. So one of the ways we do that is remind ourselves, the devil, and God what he has spoken. Um, I remind the Lord about this a lot because I wrestle with so much fear. And most people don't, that haven't heard my story don't realize how much fear I deal with. And the reason I tell you that is because I know a lot of y'all deal with fear. And when you look at a leader, especially someone that maybe appears a certain way, strong or whatever, to see that they're actually very weak, very timid in of themselves, and they really need God's help and grace and strength to do what they're doing because what we see in people when God is on them is the Lord moving through them and we think they're that way and they're not. It's just God's using them. And I'm telling you that to encourage you because we're all weak. Matter of fact, Paul says, when I am weak, then I am strong. People misquote that all the time. They say, when I am weak, then he is strong. No, God's strong all the time. He doesn't need your weakness to be strong. Before we ever were, he created everything. He is strong. But in our weakness, when we acknowledge our weakness, when we see our weakness, we can then reach out to God for strength from him because we acknowledge that we need him. Our weakness should reveal our need for him, and in that place of neediness, when we reach out to him, he gives us his strength, which in turn enables us to live in a way that we couldn't have lived without him. Weakness is our doorway to strength when it's properly handled right. When it's not handled right, it leads to defeat. And I want us to live in victory. I want to live in victory. I don't always live in victory. Sometimes I, I miss it. But he wants us to serve the Lord without fear. And so I want to talk about some weakness. And if y'all want to, you can turn over to Genesis 3. I have three examples I want to use in Scripture to, to kind of give us a general thing. And then I just want to go after this. Um, pray for me as I'm doing this. I think this is going to help a lot of people today. I know it is. But I also know that in doing this, the enemy is going to try to do some hit back. I don't care. I was telling my dad this. You know, he reminded me that the last time I spoke on this, the two, two or three, well, actually, it's been ever since then, I have been dealing with a level of fear I hadn't dealt with in a while. And he says, you remembered that, don't you? And I said, yeah, dad, but <clears throat> this is what the Lord wants me to speak on. And so if this if, if I have to suffer a little bit in retaliation in order to help set people free, it's the right thing to do, even if it costs me something. But I said, you know, I told him, I said, well, hopefully the body will rise up and cover me while I'm... <laughs> so uh, I'm not worried about him. He's, as Paul says all the time, he's a punk. Uh, there's coming a day, and the scripture bears this out, that when the Lord wraps this thing up and we get to see Satan, we're going to be like, this is the one that has weakened the nations? This is the one, and we're going to get there. We're going to be like, man, what the heck? 
So he's a punk. He's a chump. Um, but, you know, he is also in of myself, just in my own natural Adamic nature. The scripture says that man has been made a little lower than the angels. He is more powerful than me outside of Christ. But in Christ, all, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Christ, and we've been called to go forth in his name, under his authority, in his power, in his love, to set the captives free. So in Christ, I can do all things. In Christ, I'm much stronger than the devil. He's given us all authority over serpents and, and scorpions, and they will no, by, no way harm you. We have authority in him over the evil one. Outside of him, he's much stronger than us. He has spiritual power that we don't have outside of Christ. In Christ, we have much more power than he does. Much more. So, all right, Genesis 3. Uh, if you're not familiar with this passage, um, get familiar with it. You need to understand the Bible. You really do. The Bible gives us so much insight as to all the stuff that we deal with as humans. And it helps us. And it's God's Word. And I want to talk to you. How many know the story of creation? How God created Adam and Eve? Okay, how many know how God said there were two trees? Well, there are a lot of trees in, in the garden. They could eat from all of them except for one, and that was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It wasn't the tree of evil. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay, big distinction. There was a tree whose fruit produced understanding and wisdom that would allow man to see things based upon good and evil. That tree, the Lord said, the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And I promised you the day that mankind ate of that, there was a death that took over man. Now, they didn't physically die that day, but their but the death process had begun, and there was an instant separation from God when they did that. And we know in John that the Scripture says that uh, this is eternal life, that we may know the only true God and His Son, Jesus Christ, whom He has sent. Life is being connected to life Himself. So when we, and I say Adam at the, at the beginning, when he ate that which God told him not to eat, it separated him from God, and so it put him in a, a state of death. All right, so now the serpent, this is verse 1, now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, indeed, has God said, that is his M.O. over and over and over again, has God said, he always challenges the word. Now, I've preached on that before. I'm not going there today, but he always challenges what God says. Um, has, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the tree of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. He did not say you shouldn't touch it, by the way. Um, God said, don't eat from it. She added to it. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Can you see the temptation? You can be like God. 
when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from the fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Just as a side note, if you've never heard the song, Adam, Where Are You? from Don Francisco, it's an old song, folky kind of song, but it is really powerful. Look it up on YouTube. Um, it kind of conveys this whole truth around that it really is powerful. So Adam, where are you? Don Francisco. Um, he sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Okay, so then the voice of the God, sorry, I got off. Uh, voice of the, uh, they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And then the Lord God called to man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. We've taught, there's a lot of visitors today. If you go to this church regularly, you've heard me talk about this a lot. But listen again, because um, this is important. When the Lord came to him, it said that they hid themselves. Then the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? Now, how many know? that God knew where Adam was. When, if God asks you a question, he is never seeking information that he didn't have. If God asks you a question, he's trying to get you to realize something. And God asked Adam, where are you? He wanted Adam to realize where his disobedience had put him. Because for the first time in his existence, he was dealing with fear. Fear. And fear has gripped man ever since. And his fear was the result of one thing. I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I heard myself. Adam had been walking around the garden totally naked, and nobody ever knew a thing. They never even was aware of it. Some say they were covered in glory, the glory of God, we don't know that from Scripture. That's just an opinion of somebody. It could be. But what we do know is that the day they ate of the knowledge of good and evil, they began to see themselves. And, the, and when they saw their own nakedness, their self-focus for the first time, before that, they're God-focused. My focus is on God and his purposes, and then I eat the tree, and now I'm self-consumed. I'm looking at myself. And when the Lord showed up, because of my self-awareness, I go and I hide. We are still hiding from the presence of the Lord so much because of things in our lives that aren't the way they should be. The answer for our weaknesses and our issues is to run to God, not from Him. But because of our self-awareness, 
our self-focus, the fear that enters our heart because of our own weakness in different areas, we run from God. And so this is the first time you see fear entered into man, and it's the direct result of having their eyes turned on themselves. Okay? Does that make sense? Everybody with me? Most of you are shaking your head. Everybody with me? You got it? Self-focus brings fear. We weren't meant to walk around, you know, navel-gazing. But we do. Like when you do something you know you shouldn't done and you feel horrible about it, then all of a sudden you're like, you just feel bad. And it's really because you're, you're conti- we continue to stare at our own failure and it just, it troubles us. We f- there's something off now. And there's a remedy for this. But, and I've preached that. Uh, there's a message on that. But I want to talk to you today about the fear issue. So turn over with me to Numbers 13. That was our first example. Turn over to Numbers 13. Man, the digital world. It used to be, you say, turn, let's turn over to, and all you, you hear is Bible pages turning. And now you hardly hear anything because everybody's on their phone scrolling. <laughs> or they're not doing anything. <laughs> Paul. <laughs> Um, so number 13, this is the children of Israel had delivered, were delivered by God from Egypt. They were taken through the wilderness. Two years into their journey, it's time to go into the promised land that God had called them to. A land flowing with milk and honey. They were going to have vineyards they didn't plant, houses they didn't build. Um, they were going to drive giants out of the land. Um, and the Lord um, had done miracles after miracles. Okay, so I want to just give you a backdrop to this, this little portion. They have seen plagues defy every god in Egypt. Okay? They had seen this, this, the, the rod turn to a serpent and eat the serpents of the pharaohs. They've seen uh, 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 Moses stick his hand in his garment and bring it out leprous, and then he st- sticks it back in, and it comes out whole as a sign of his authority. They had seen him turn water to blood. He turned the whole Nile to blood. They had seen frogs, gnats, darkness, hail. I mean, they had seen sign after sign after sign that delivered them. They saw when God brought a, a darkness so great on Egypt that you couldn't even see your hand in front of your face in, in the land of Goshen where they lived was in total light. There was a distinction made, and they saw that. They saw this God bring them through the Red Sea. The sea was actually open, and yes, I believe this literally happened. This literally happened. You say, how could God do that? How can God create everything around us I mean, really, people say, well, how did, you know, they, they question and they say these are parables or they were stories. No, no, no. Once you have to do this, once you say that God in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, no miracle in the Bible should be a problem for you. If God created everything in here and every DNA and all the cells that have come to shape 
us versus a dog versus a frog versus a snake. Everything, stars and universes beyond our comprehension. There's so much we haven't even explored yet. And if God can do all that to the point that the whole universe is still expanding by one word where he said, let there be, then how can we have trouble with any miracle in the Bible? Give me a break. God is all-powerful. We're not, and that's part of really the issue, and that's what I'm going to get into. We need to be able to see God the way he is. That's really the answer. So he divided the Red Sea, and they literally walked across dry land through a sea with a wall on one side and a wall. Can you imagine walking through a sea? If I was them, I would have been afraid. I'm like, good night. I mean, a wall higher than this building. On each of way higher than this building. It's a sea. You know how deep seas are. I don't know what the depth of the Red Sea is, but it's, it's deep. And that thing went up like a wall. And they went down and back up. On dry land, which shouldn't have been dry. How could it have been dry? It was dry land. God of miracles. They saw, for two years, they saw miracle after miracle. God, they wanted meat. God put quail everywhere. Where they woke up and quails covering their, all their land. He, they saw fire, a cloud of fire at night and a cloud by day, every day. And they saw the literal glory of the Lord fall on uh, the mountain. And, and, and then also fall on the temple when... This, the, the, Moses' tent, I should say, the tent of meeting, the tent that they made to, for Moses to meet with God. They saw manna every day just appear. They saw so many miracles. So it's not like they didn't see some stuff. You know what I mean? They saw some stuff. They saw God do things that, you know, I'm jealous of. You know, what an amazing thing to see all the things God had done. So just with that as a backdrop, let's start at Numbers 13. And it says that the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send out for yourself men so that they may go out in the land of Canaan, which I'm going to give you to the sons of Israel. You shall send a man from each of the father's tribes, everyone a leader among them. So basically they picked 12 men. They told them to go and spy out the land where God was about to take them. Okay. And so they go out, they spy out the land, and then they even bring back some of the produce that God had told them he was, remember God told them he's, they're going into a land filled with milk and honey and vineyards and fruit and cities and houses and all this stuff, okay? And so the spies come back, and you find this in uh, verse 25. When they return from spying out the land at the end of 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron, so all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh, and they brought back word to them, and all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them and said, We went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Okay? So God told them this is what they're going to have, and there it is. It truly has what, they, what the Lord told them it was going to have. But then they go, verse 28, Nevertheless, the people who lived in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified very large, and moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak, Anak there. I'm going to come back to Anak. Remember that. 
Amalek is living in the land. That was one of Israel's enemies of the Negva and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amurites are living in the hill countries and the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. And then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, we should by all means go up and take possession of it for we will surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able. I want to just key on some words, okay? Words matter. We. Everybody say we. Are not able. Who's, who are they focused on? Themselves. We are not able to go up against the people. They are too strong for us. Now here's the, here's the catch. They're telling the truth. They're telling the truth. They are not able. And they are too strong for them. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, the, Lord, the land through which we have gone and spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it were men of great size. And there also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, are part of the Nephilim, and we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Okay, first of all, Nephilim, you have to read Genesis 6 to understand what Nephilim is. A lot of people aren't comfortable dealing with this, but this is biblical and it's true. This is a true word. I believe this with all my heart. This is God's word. There are things in it that blow our mind, and a lot of people don't like, like to brush over certain subjects because it makes them uncomfortable, but I'm not one of those people. I want, I want the truth. Genesis 6 says that fallen angels came down and slept with the women of men, and it produced giants in the land, men of great renown, great stature. They were violent men, bloodthirsty. We learned this from the book of Enoch, but in Genesis 6 in the Bible, it talks about that this offspring that were from angels and men dwelt in the land, and it tells us that both in that days and then also afterward. So we know that there were fallen angelic, fallen angelically conceived beings that were, ne that were neither fully man nor fully angel that lived in Noah's day and also afterward, it says. And then we see clearly in this verse that these beings existed in their day. Some believe they exist today, and there is some evidence of that. Um, but that's not my point. My point is that these guys were huge. Uh, they were big beings. Giants, you know. You remember Goliath? We're going to talk about Goliath in a minute. Goliath was huge. Conservative estimates have him at nine foot nine inches. That depends on how you interpret that word for their, that they use to measure him. Some have him much larger. But he was huge. He would make Shaquille O'Neal look small. Okay? These giants were big dudes. Any of us would have seen these guys, and if we were depending on our own ability to take these guys down, we would have been shaking in our boots. Big dudes. And so here they are. They've seen these giants. 
These are the Anak and Nephilim. These are these giant men. And it says, we are not able to go up against the people for they are too strong for us. True statement. But the problem is, is the same problem that every one of us has to choose when we are confronted with giants in our life. All of us are going to have giants in our life. Fears. Giant fears that intimidate us. And we have to decide who we're going to look at. We have to decide who is bigger. See, the fall of the children of Israel in this moment is not that they saw that these were big giants. The problem is, is that these giants took their full attention and they forgot how big God was. Their, their trust was in their own self. They thought, I have to do this. And there is something in us that when we're put in certain situations, we are constantly feeling like, I have to fix this problem. I have to do this. We trust in our own strength. And if we're doing that, it should cause fear. But as a believer in Christ Jesus, we have access to the God that holds everything together. And the focal point is the key. Are we seeing God that is bigger than giants or are we seeing giants that are bigger than us? If we're looking at ourselves like Adam did, he felt fear and ran. These people looked at themselves. Here's the proof of it. Verse 33, there also were Nephilim, the sons of Anak, part of the Nephilim. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. How do they know what their sight was? This has so much application for us. Um, if you can see the symbolism here of how when we deal with things, when we have things that are conf we're confronted with that are bigger than us, anything that's bigger than you, that's your tendency is to be afraid of it, is an example of this situation where you're having to decide how you're going to do things. And dependent upon what your focal point is, is going to determine which way you act. Caleb saw a God that just did all the miracles that they saw. And, he, and, he, and what does Caleb say? He quieted the people before Moses and said, we should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. Later on, you see Caleb talking about how God will make a way. Now turn over, one more example, to... First Samuel, man, there goes some Bibles turning. First Samuel 17, sorry, I guilt you into turning a page. I heard a page turn. Giants represent fear. In, in, in First Samuel 17, we see all of Israel confronted by Goliath, who was a giant. He was one of these dudes. Uh, I personally believe that's part of the reason why God told the Israelites to wipe out these people. Not only was their sin very great, and when I mean their sin was great, they were doing all kinds of abominations, sacrificing their children to other gods, killing one another. I mean, they were evil, evil. But they also was a breed of creation that God didn't make. And that's part of the reason why God wanted to wipe them out, because it was a battle of a seed, and that's a long story, you need to, but you need to understand there's a seed war going on throughout the Bible. It starts in G Genesis when God tells 
the man and the woman that or he's telling the woman that her seed shall crush the serpent's head and he shall bruise their heel. It's the seed that was going to be brought forth through the woman. You know, Jesus didn't have a male seed. Jesus was born of a virgin. He was born by the word of God, by the seed of God, by the very Holy Spirit of God, and he was conceived from a woman. The Bible says that the sins of the fathers are passed from generation to generation. Jesus was born of a woman without a sin nature because he had, there was no sin passed through the, the, the seed of a man. And it was a seed war. Satan was trying to wipe out this seed that he told in Genesis chapter 3 where he says the seed is going to crush your head. He was scared throughout history and he was looking for the seed. And that's why when Moses came, he wiped out the babies. When Jesus came, he wiped out the babies. He's constantly trying to destroy the seed. And one of the ways he tried to destroy the seed by mixing the seed with spiritual beings that would cause the seed to not be pure. Now, this may sound like sci-fi, and if you've never heard this before, I understand you're like, whoa, what the heck? It's in the Bible. It's not preached a lot, but it's in the Bible. If you want to talk about it, I'm happy to discuss it with you afterwards. It's, um, but Satan was trying to mix the seed up so that um, the, the Christ wouldn't come as the seed of the woman and die for all the sins of humanity. And so here in this story, this giant has come out and he's been very bold and vocal. Let's see. Now the Philistine gathered their armies to for battle and they were gathered at, um, I can't pronounce half of these words, Soko, which belongs to Judah, and they encamped between Soko and Ezekah in Ephes Damimim. <laughs> Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up in the battle raid and countered the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side and the valley between them. Then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. Uh, you know, like a cubit, a conservative estimate again was like 18 inches. So when you figure out if that is accurate, and there's some debate about what the actual cubit was back then, but if that's accurate, like I said, nine foot nine. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was clothed with scale armor. Isn't that interesting? The Satan's offspring carrying himself with scale armor, which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. I don't know how heavy that is, but that sounds like real heavy. He also had bronze graves. Let's see what this is. This uh, shin guards on his legs and a bronze javelin slung between his shoulders. And the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam and the head of his spear weighed 600 shekels of iron. That's the head of the spear. Wow. His shield carrier also walked before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel and said to them, Why do you come out to draw up in battle array? Am I not the Philistine and you servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. And if he is able right with, to fight with me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. Again, the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. 
And when Saul all heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. There are going to be times when the enemy's going to come out and he's going to taunt you. It, your, his taunt may be, look, you just, doctor just said you got cancer and you're going to die. It's a taunt. He may come out and say, look, your kid's not serving God. It's a taunt. He may say, go, go up to this person and tell them this, 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 and this, and all of a sudden you get so afraid you don't know what to do, and you don't want to do it, and you start thinking, I got to get out of here. I ain't doing this. It's a taunt. It's the enemy trying to intimidate you and back you down. There are all kinds of ways that fear comes at us and tries to hinder us. It could be your back's against the wall financially and you don't know how to, wait, how to see your way out of it. And the enemy comes and says, you're going down. Oh, really? I thought the Bible says my God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's what I thought his word said. Hmm, I'm going down. I thought the Bible said he'll never leave me or forsake me. I thought the Bible said to me that if I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto me. Hmm. But the enemy, remember in the garden, did God really say? Challenging the word, putting things in our path that really are put there for our development to determine if we can grow up into strength or stay weak. You know, everything is an opportunity to grow. Everything is an opportunity to become more like him. And so, David comes down. Uh, David was the son of a, of a, well, let's just skip. Basically, Jesse tells David, take some cheese and some bread to your brothers because the, they were in the army. And so David's the youngest of Jesse. And Jesse sends his youngest son to check on the welfare of his brothers. And, uh, but David went back and forth from Saul. You know, he was going back and forth. And it said, let's see. So David arose early in the morning and left the flock with the keeper and took the supplies and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the circle of the camp while the army was going out in battle array, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines drew up in battle array army against... Uh, array army against army then david left his baggage in the care of the baggage keeper and ran to the battle line and ended in order to greet his brothers as he was talking with them behold the champion the philistine from gath named goliath was coming up from the army of the philistines and he spoke these same words and david heard them when all the men of israel saw the man they fled from him and were greatly afraid a very similar story to what we looked at with the spies. They saw giants, and surely there was a fear that was brought up in their heart because they thought they had to defeat this giant. And I want to tell you that that really is the lie of the enemy that says you have to do it because last time I checked, the Bible says not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And that really is the crux of the issue is who do we think's getting the job done? And we have to answer that question every time we're confronted with a giant in our life. Who are you trusting in here? Are you trusting your own ability to make something happen, or are you trusting a God who's bigger than any giant you can see? So David 
as he was talking with them, behold, the, uh, the, uh, and David heard them. When all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. The men of Israel said, have you seen this man who is coming up? Surely he is coming up to defy Israel, and it will be that the king will enrich the man who kills him. Great riches will, and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who were standing with him, saying, What will be done for the man? And they tell him all this again. And um, go down a little bit. His brothers get mad at him for asking questions. And when the words which David spoke were heard, they told him them to Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. Then Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. See, Saul was saying you can't do it. For you are but a youth, and while he has been a warrior from his youth. But listen to this. This is what David said. But David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock. I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by the beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Who was David focused on? God. See, that's the difference. Those that focused on God see the problems as small because God is big. But those that are focused on themselves and the problems and the problems being so big is how can I fix this? This is bigger than me. Yeah, it is. Of course it is. But it's not bigger than God. So, so David, with his God focus, was confident that God would that deliver him from this giant that David could not beat. As Saul points out, he was just but a youth. And Saul clothed David with his garments and put a bronze helmet, and David rejected him, basically. And David took his stick in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's bag, which he had even in his pouch. And his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Then the Philistine came on and approached David with the shield bearer in front of him. I love this. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and with a handsome appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog? that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistines also said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beast of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. It did. That's right. And that all the assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. 
And then it happened when the Philistines rose and came and drew near to meet David, that David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand into, a, into his bag, took from it a stone, and slung it, and struck the Philistine on the forehead, and the stone stank, sank into his forehead so that he fell on his face to the ground. And David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and he struck the Philistine and killed him, but there was no sword in David's hand. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword, talking about the Philistine sword, drew it out of his sheath and killed him, cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled, and the men of Israel went on pursuit. So David overcame this giant who had the whole army of Israel in fear because of his size, not by his own strength, but because of his weakness, he depended on God. Every time we feel fear, we are looking at our own nakedness, our own weakness, and we need to ask God for grace to shift our focus onto the God who is bigger than what we're facing. I have dealt with fear most of my life. When I grew up, I was afraid of the dark. I was afraid of bullies. Uh, I was afraid of heights. Uh, I was afraid of about everything you can pretty much think of. I used to be terrified to speak in front of people. Terrified, like I'd get up and <clears throat> couldn't breathe. I have witnesses. My wife could witness it. Uh, she remembers me having to speak in front of ch a church when, way back in the 90s and couldn't even, I, I would have to just confess how afraid I was before that thing would unlock and I could start even to talk. And it was miserable because the, the panic attack that I would have every time it was my turn to have to speak or say something, it was horrible. And I have fought such a fight to get free from this thing. And the fact that I'm standing up here today is a, a great example of God's goodness and his ability to deliver from fear. But I want to tell you that it was a fight. And it has been a process for me in me being uh, fighting for this thing by going to God and saying, Lord, your word says, delivering us from the hands of all our enemies, we might serve you without fear. Psalms 34, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fear. God wants us to get fear free, free from all fear. He doesn't want us, he wants us to be like David that lives with God in our vision. Because when we see God, there's, no, there's nothing else to worry about. If God is for us, who can be against us? But the problem is, is when we start feeling that fear, you immediately need to recognize what's happening. You're looking at yourself. You're, you're, you're thinking, oh, what do I have to do to fix this? I can't fix this. This is bigger than me. That should just help you right there to realize, yes, it is. Go to God. Trust in the one. Trust in him. Put your trust in the Lord. Um, this is kind of a funny story because of how frightened I was. Uh, I was terrified to speak in front of people. And I had had this dream. In the dream, I, have, I was fighting a, uh, a dwarf, a midget, in, a, in the cage, in a UFC fight in this dream. And I beat him pretty easily. <laughs> but I knew that my next fight after this one was a giant this huge guy 
And I was so scared, but I knew in the dream I had to fight this giant. And when I woke up from this dream, just knowing how this works, I knew something was coming that was going to challenge me, like this Philistine. And it was time to put up or shut up. Run like a dog, like the children of Israel. But I had learned something about fear at this point, even though I still dealt with it severely. I'd had a dream one time that I was being chased by this bear, and this bear was chasing me, and I was, couldn't get away from it. And I was running, 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 and I would jump off this cliff and across this river. And every time I'd turn around, this bear was right in step with me, and I had nothing I could do to get away from this bear. And finally, I just turned around and faced the bear, and when it saw I turned and faced it, it put on the brakes, slid, fell down at my feet, and became a little puppy dog. And I woke up, and I'm like, Lord, what in the world? I knew it was God trying to tell me something. And I was like, but I don't know what that was about. And so I keep asking the Lord, what does this mean? And I'm like, I'm talking to the Lord all the time. What does this mean? And I go to church that Sunday, a number of days after I dreamed this, and Bob Jones gets up and starts talking about David, how he killed his lion and his bear. And he said the bear represented fear. And immediately the, the light bulb goes on and it unlocks. I was like, oh my gosh, that's what the Lord's been telling me most of my life. And I'm, I'm, we're running, you know, I don't, I don't want to take forever. I mean, I could really go deep into this because of all the examples I have of being so afraid of everything. How the enemy is kicking my butt most of my life. But I realized from this dream that if for me to, if you run from fear, it will chase you the rest of your life. But if you face it, it will fall down at your feet and become like nothing. That doesn't mean that facing it is easy. It's not. It's terrifying. You have to sometimes force yourself to do it. I would many times that I've had to run and just come to God and say, God, help me. I am terrified. One story like this, I had this, you know, back to the original dream. I knew this giant was coming that I was going to have to fight. And probably a week or so after I have this dream, I get a phone call. And it's some guy ask, asking me if my name's, if this is Jesse. And I said, well, my first name is Jesse, but nobody calls me that. And I said, yeah, it's Jesse. And he says, hey, I'm such and such with the NRA. Uh, I, we were having a prayer breakfast at the NRA in Charlotte at their convention center, and we wanted you to be one of the people that pray in, during the prayer breakfast. Immediately, my heart starts going. And then the dream hits me, and I knew it. This is my giant. This is what I've been, that the Lord told me was coming. I have got to do this, but I did not want to do this. <laughs> and uh, we get to talking. He actually got my name thinking I was somebody else. I had a buddy named Jesse Fisher, and he thought I was him because we both did ministry together. And I told him, I said, no, I'm not him. I'm, I'm actually, most people call me Travis. My first name is Jesse, but I know who you're talking about, Jesse Fisher. So I can give you his number. And he just pauses, and he goes, um, no, I think you're the one that's supposed to do this. <laughs> it was crazy. It was totally a setup by God. So, okay, I, I start talking to myself. Okay, it's a prayer breakfast. How many people were showing up for a prayer breakfast at the NRA? You're talking a couple hundred people, and I was still scared because I couldn't speak in a group of 10. Much. I mean, it was just like I was terrified to speak in front of anybody. 
it wasn't that long ago I was still dealing with this. I mean, really, just a few years ago. And so I agreed, and here comes the day. And I mean, it was hell going, getting to this day just because I was scared. And I show up, walk down the stairs, come to where they tell me, and I'm looking, and it's like, I mean, the wall for the entrance to this place was bigger than this wall all the way to the back. I mean, it was probably bigger than the whole church length. And there were doors the whole way to open up in this place. And I had, you couldn't get in yet. And I come down there and I see all these people waiting in line to get into the door. And I start having a panic attack. I'm like, oh my gosh, the, all these people, what am I going to do? I can't, I can't do this. Focused on me terrified all i could do was put one foot in front of the other i felt like nemo you know just keep swimming swimming you know it's just like all i could do is just keep moving forward and i go in and they sit me at a round table and right beside me was oliver north if you know who colonel oliver north is he was the one that warned the world about osama bin laden back before way like 80s i think way before uh 9-11 and uh and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is big time. And there were thousands of people in this meeting. Thousands. Its place was huge. And I am freaking out. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to leave. <laughs> and I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh, I can't do this. And I'm just, there's a war going on inside of me. And I was like, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but just help me get up there and please help me. I'm going to God. God, you have got to help me. And he's letting me struggle. He's letting me struggle. But I was fighting. You know why I was fighting? Because I didn't run. I was struggling. Why was I struggling? Because you didn't run. I have learned and I knew that if I run, I will never get free from this. I have got to face this. But I did not want to. And it seemed like this had been a number of things that had led me up to this point to get to this thing because this was such a big deal, this fear, because I knew God was calling me to preach. But I was terrified to speak in front of people. I had already jumped out of an airplane, I think, three times at that point, and I'm terrified of heights. I had rode most of the rides at Carowinds as overcoming my fear uh, learning how to press beyond what my feelings to press into what God wants, and it's hard. And it was amazing. I got up there in fear and trembling, and I look out at this crowd, and I'm like, well, I, they've asked me to pray, so I'm going to close my eyes. <laughs> and I closed my eyes, and I opened my mouth, and God filled it. It was amazing. I couldn't believe it. It was like, all these people, these famous people, like, like, the, like the, the biggest church in town's pastor was there giving one. I'm the last one to get up to finish, close the meeting in prayer. And I didn't have anything planned other than two things the Lord spoke to me about freedom. And um, so I get up to, and I open my mouth and I start praying this prayer and I can hear the lady that... Um, that that, that basically was in charge of this event kind of gasp when the when I, I prayed something and a light bulb went off on her head. I mean, she saw something for the first time and I could hear her just gasp because she was right in front of the, 
the thing, and it was, it was powerful. Cause, and she came up to me afterwards and said how powerful that was. I prayed for like, I don't know, a minute or two. It wasn't long. Most of these guys get up and preach sermons as prayers, and I didn't. I just prayed. Um, but I came down off of that stage higher than a kite, victorious, having triumphed over my enemy because I was willing to face what I was terrified of. And I want to tell you, it's okay to be weak today, but turn your weakness towards God and you will be strong. I have fought my lion and I have fought my bear and now I've fought my Goliath. And I know I have more fights to fight. You know, I have more fights to fight. Had one the other day in the food line. Felt like the Lord was telling me to talk to this lady and I didn't want to. I still get afraid sometimes to talk to people, mainly because I don't know when the Lord gives me stuff, he gives it to me in such a way that it, it's just not clear. But when I went up to this lady and just started talking to her, it was amazing that what God opened up when I opened up my mouth and the, the way the, the dialogue went back and forth. She was a Christian but wasn't living for the Lord. And she, it, I mean, it was an incredible ministry time to this lady that I believe spurred her to get right with God and to get back in church. And, but I, yes, right. Um, but it came because I stepped beyond my fear. And when we step beyond our fear, God will show up. And God wants every single one of you to be able to step beyond your fear, to stop looking at yourself, but start looking at the God that can set us free and can, is bigger than whatever we're going to face. Does that make sense? Psalms 34, I sought the Lord. I sought Him, and He answered me and delivered me from all my fear. I feel condemned often because of the fear that I deal with. I, I still deal with a lot of fear, and I feel condemned over it. I shouldn't be this afraid. But his love for me is great, and I think he has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the wise. It's not my strength that makes me useful. It's my willingness. And I know that God really does only have weak vessels to use. And so I'm encouraging us all today that we would give ourselves to allow the Lord to work in us a God focus so that we can get free from our fears and do the things that God's called us to do. Because I promise you, no matter what God's called you to do, and Scripture bears this out through example after example, it will be terrifying if you're looking at your own self to have to accomplish what God's called you to do. He never calls us to stuff that we can accomplish. He always calls us to things we could never do without him. Y'all hear that? If you have a calling by God, it's to something you could never, ever do in a thousand years. It's something that only he can do, and your faith to move forward into it, believing that he's going to do it, is your honor, is your righteousness, is, your, is what you're bringing to the table. It's just your faith in him that he's going to do this. That's what you're bringing to the table, your willingness. I say this all the time. I'm going to say it today. It's not your weakness that limits God. It's your unwillingness. 
He only has weak thing, weak people to use. So, Lord, we love you. We want to um, become vessels of boldness. And Lord, I think about the scripture in, uh, in Daniel 11 that says, those that know their God shall display strength and take action. And Lord, it's knowing you that gives us boldness. When I know you, I have confidence that you're going to come through. And I can't tell these people how many times I've had to take put one step in front of the other, trusting that when I got up there, you were going to meet me in a way to help me speak. Because I walked up in fear and trembling, but when I would open my mouth, you would show up. And Lord, that was faith. It was stepping forward knowing that my God will meet me when I get to the edge. When it's time to jump, you will meet me. I just have to keep getting to the edge. And Lord, I'm asking for grace on all of us to walk to the edge, to allow you to show up in big ways, to defeat the giants in our lives. Lord, let giants fall in the earth to your, your people. Lord, let the giant slayers arise in your people who know their God, who know their God. We don't know you from afar, Lord, but that we would know you because when we know you, we trust you because to know you is to know that you will never fail us. You will always provide what we don't have when we step out in faith and get to the place to where it's time to go. So, Lord, help us today. I'm asking for special grace on us to continue to overcome our fears, our insecurities, our self-focus, to keep our eyes on you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus.